0: Good morning, everyone. I hope you guys are well. Um, as John mentioned, we are starting a new series this morning out of the book of Judges. Um, and really looking at this, we're, we titled it The Book of Judges The Horror and Hope of Humanity. And as you look at the book of Judges, you're going to see both of those things. You're going to see horror, uh, it's a very bloody book, it's a book full of manipulation, murder, all kinds of things that we'll look at in a minute. Um, But there's also hope in it. And we want to draw that out and let you see that as well. So the book of Judges is about the Israelites, the Jewish nation that God chose for himself, that he would ultimately bring Jesus out of, the Savior, the Redeemer, would come from them. And he had promised them land. And in this, um, Joshua, we're going to read where Joshua dies. And he's taken them into the promised land, but there's still a lot of land to be taken And God has promised them that if you will be faithful, I'll drive these nations out from around you and this will be your land. But he commands them, drive them out completely. And we'll see why this is important in just a moment. But the book of Judges is really about how the cycle of Israel's sin led to God's judgment, led to um, their groaning and crying out which then led to God delivering them, and it was just a cycle. And as you read the book of Judges, what you'll see is that it continues a downward spiral. It gets worse and worse. And so we'll see this as we go through the book. Today we're going to be in chapter 2. One of the things that's really neat about the book of Judges is it has two introductions. Chapter 1 is an introduction that views what's happening through the eyes of Israel. Chapter 2 is an introduction that that looks through the eyes of God and what God is seeing take place amongst the Israelites. And so we're going to be in chapter 2 today, um, beginning in verse 6. Before I read that, I want to read a couple of scriptures, a couple of passages from Jeremiah chapter 17. Then we'll go back to Judges and get into Judges chapter 2. And so Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this. It says, The heart is deceitful. Above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. And we'll definitely see that in the book of Judges. Now back to your left in the book of Judges, chapter 2. Again, this is when Joshua, he's, he dies and the Israelites um, begin to turn away from the Lord. It says in uh, verse six, it says, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and had seen all the great things the Lord had done. So there's this transition taking place. It says, Joshua son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died at the age of 110 and they buried him in the land of his inheritance. Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Geash. After that, the whole generation who had been gathered to their ancestors, once they were gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither, knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord and God of their, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They, acu- they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asthoras. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges. When you read um, judges in here, it doesn't necessarily mean like a judge who decides court cases. It's speaking more to a savior deliverer. And so the Lord raised up judges or saviors, deliverers who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the, the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you today for your word, God. And we're here, Lord. And you're here. So, God, I pray that you move in a mighty way in our hearts. Transform our hearts. Lord, bring them into alignment with yours. Allow your spirit to work in us in a way, God, that transforms and sets free and delivers. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all you have done and for who you are. Pray that no one in this room today would leave without knowing you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I so I want to ask you a question. And I realize for you guys, you don't have time to ponder these questions, but I want to ask you a question. Maybe you can come up with something kind of quickly, but I want you to think briefly for things that are something that you have done in your life that surprised you like something good. Like you did it and you're like, Whoa, didn't know I had that in me. Right? Um, something that, that you think about, it could have been you set out to run a marathon and then you ran the marathon. You're like, never thought I could do that. For some of us, it would be that way with a mile, right? Like set out to run a mile and you actually did it and, and you were surprised that you did it. It could have been a weight loss goal. It could have been a lot of different things. For me, one of the things that I look at in my life that I go, wow, I didn't know I had that in me. Um, and, and obviously it's God, but I look at it and go, I didn't know that was in me. One of those things is what I'm doing right now is speaking to people, um, is pastoring a church, is, is doing um, this uh, so many times a year, standing in front of people and speaking because it's not something that I would have chosen to do on my own. If you had told me 22, 23, 24 years ago that I'd be doing this, I would have said, you're crazy. And there's a few reasons for that. One is just the fear of speaking. Statistically, I saw where more people are afraid of public speaking than they are death. So that if you put somebody, stood them up and you said, would you rather speak in public or die? They said, I'd rather just kill me. (laughs) And that's how I am. Like, it's not something that I just naturally gravitate towards. I just want to get up here and talk to y'all. So one of it is just the fear of, the natural fear of being in front of people. A second one is doubting ability, right? It's doubting the ability to be able to do this. In fact, when I first started preaching, I had someone tell me, if you ever want to grow a church, you got to preach better. And and I'll never forget that because you begin to doubt your ability. Can, Can God really use me to do this? But the third one is this. The third reason that this surprises me is because I know me. I know what's inside me. I know what my heart and what my actions are capable of when they're not submitted to God. And so for me, it is surprising that God would choose me to do something, to stand up and speak about his word. But I bet there's things in your life that you look at and you're surprised that that was in me, that I could actually do that. Now flip that. And think about something that you did that you go, I can't believe that was in me, but it wasn't good, right? For some of us, that's easier to think about. And we look at that and we go, how in the world did I get to that place? How in the world did I think that way? And then those thinking, that thinking and way of thinking led to these actions. How did I get so far away? And you look at that and you're wondering, well, here's the reason that that happens it's because the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and beyond cure. The Bible is true. when we look inside ourselves, we see this. When it says the heart is deceitfully wicked, that the word for wicked, literally it can be translated as sick. He's saying our hearts are sick, and because of that, we see actions that come out of us that aren't good. And when you look at the book of Judges, you see this. You see the horror of humanity in the book of Judges. You you see that the book of Judges really reveals this sobering reality about human nature. It exposes it. It reveals it very clearly. The horror is seen through the people of Israel in the book of Judges. Here's the challenging thing about that for us. What we realize in this is that the horror is in us. The horror is in us, but the hope isn't. The hope isn't. And we see this as well through the book of Judges. We realize that the heart is indeed deceitfully wicked above all things, and it is capable of horrifying atrocities. When you look at the Israelites, their hearts were deceitfully wicked. Their hearts were sick. When you read through the book of Judges, you see constant rebellion against God. You see disobedience to the things he told them to do. You see deception. You see someone actually kill someone by driving a tent peg through their temple while they're asleep. You see senseless murder. You see extreme moments of celebration for what God had done, followed by these epic failures morally and ethically. You see people who go and they capture other folks and they cut off their thumbs and big toes. I guess that was a thing back then. You see these attempts to manipulate into positions of power. You see lying, compromise. You see lust unbridled fleshly appetites. You see sexual sin. You see greed, arrogance, bloody wars. You even see the dismemberment of a body. And you even see a child sacrifice. And here's what's crazy. When you think of child sacrifice, you would think it was someone from one of the pagan nations that they were driving out, but it wasn't. It was an Israelite, which is crazy. And all of this started when Israel would not drive out the people from the land. And they allowed them to stay around them. The evil wasn't this. The evil wasn't a cultural merger. The evil was that they were led to forsake their God and they gave up worshiping the Creator and began to worship what was created. You look at it, they couldn't even keep the first commandment. They didn't get to like 8, 9, or 10 and stump their toe, right? They couldn't do the first one. It tells us to not have any other gods before the one true God. And here's all of these gods begin to come in. And they begin to give their allegiance to these other gods who were not gods at all. The word for worship, it literally means to physically prostrate. I always get nervous when I say, because I don't want to say prostate yourself but it means to literally prostrate yourself before a superior, giving allegiance to them. In other words, these false gods, Baal and the, the, the worshiping Nastorus the and all these other false gods of these pagan nations, they quit giving their allegiance to God and they begin to bow to these gods that were not God. They begin to bow to the created rather than the creator. So many times, like them, we give ourselves to the world. We give the world control of our lives. The allegiance moves from God, it moves from Jesus to the created. They had forsaken, listen to this, they had forsaken the true and living God who had saved them from oppression in Egypt, all throughout the book of Judges, throughout their history. They, fors- they had forsaken. The God who had saved them, rescued them from oppression. And they began to serve gods who could do nothing but oppress them. Gods who couldn't save. Gods who couldn't deliver. And they began to give their allegiance to them. The end of the book of Judges, the very last verse, it says this. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And that was the ruin of Israel. That is the reason for the cycle of sin, of oppression, of deliverance. And of sin and oppression and deliverance. And this cycle went from pretty good to okay to bad to, oh, my God, how did they get there, right? How did they end up there? And this downward spiral And what they didn't realize, what they weren't picturing, what they weren't seeing, what they weren't getting, is that it was their sin, the Israelite sin, that led them to captivity. And this captivity was a captivity that they could not escape from. It was not in their power to get away from it. It was a captivity that they could not escape, and it was an oppression that they could not bear. It was more than they could bear. In in the Gospel of John in chapter 8, Jesus makes this statement to to the Israelites and to some of the the, the religious leaders who thought they were righteous because of their their lineage, because they were from Abraham, because they were Jewish, and and because of of their own actions and righteousness. And they thought they were right with God because of that. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, anyone who sins is a slave of sin. And they're like, what do you mean, Jesus? We've never been a slave to anyone. I'm looking at their history. I'm like, I beg to differ. Y'all were slaves to everybody. Like, we haven't been a slave to anyone. And Jesus says this. If you're ever reading the words of Jesus, and it says, truly I tell you, or very truly I tell you, pay attention. Because he looks at them, and he says, very truly I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. They say, we're children of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone and Jesus tells them that the truth will set you free if you hold on to it, if you hold to his teachings. But here's the thing. He looks at them and he's like, you're a slave to sin. They don't even recognize this. They don't understand this. They don't realize that just because they came from the right nation, that they're, that they're not Christian. They don't understand that their own actions can't make them right with God. God. And Jesus is causing this worldview train wreck, this challenge to their thinking, where he says, very truly, I tell you, you may think you've got it together. You may think you're right with God, but understand this, you are still a slave of sin. And what the Israelites did not realize in the book of Judges all the way to Jesus' day is that this was an oppression, this was a captivity that they could not escape on their own. The horror was in them, but the hope was not. Look at this. It's it's fascinating that the Israelites think that their enemies are the nations. But when they have sinned, in reality, yes, those nations are their enemy, but so is God. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says this, beginning in verse 8, he says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Look at that. For if while we were God's enemies. What Jesus said is true. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Judges, is true that when we look at this, we become God's enemy when we rebel against him, when we walk away from him. Sin has divided us from him. There is enmity between us. There has to be some reconciliation of humanity of God. But it's an oppression, it's a captivity that we cannot escape on our own. But here's the good news. If you look at chapter 2 of Judges, verse 16 through 18, what we find is that God delivered them from their enemy. God delivered them. When God would hear and see their suffering, he would hear their groaning. He was moved with compassion on their behalf. When you read about God being moved, like when it talks about Jesus being moved for someone, what it's literally talking about is a word that denotes something, and this is kind of weird sounding to us, but it's something that denotes movement in your bowels. It's kind of weird, I know, right? Right? But what it's saying is he was moved at the deepest part of his being, at the deepest part of his soul. He was moved. Something moved him. And when God saw and heard the cries of these Israelites, of his people, he was moved at the deepest part of his being to go after them and to deliver them. He was moved with compassion that he felt in him. God saw it and heard it and felt the pain and the oppression and the hopelessness of his people and he moved. But listen to this, you gotta listen, you gotta listen. If you drift off, you gotta listen, you gotta listen, because this is important. When God moved, how did he deliver the Israelites? How did he deliver them? He delivered them by raising up a judge, a deliverer, a savior. But it was this: it was always someone who was anointed by God to deliver his people. From their enemies and oppression and affliction. This is important because we're going to come back to this. Someone who was anointed by God to deliver his people. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit would come upon this person. And they would be raised up in this supernatural strength. And they would go and they would deliver God's people from these oppressive nations. If you read through it, it happens with all of these different judges. There's one in Judges 3.10 named Othniel. And and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he delivers Israel. With Gideon, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he delivers Israel. With another judge named Jephthah, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he delivers Israel. Samson, the Spirit comes upon him in one part, and he tears a lion apart with his bare hands. Another part, he takes down 30 Philistines. And then the last one is this he struck down a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. I guarantee you, he didn't know that was inside him, right? Struck down a thousand men. And over and over again, God delivered them from this cycle of sin and captivity. Then there's deliverance, but then there's sin, and it was repeated over and over and over again. How could they just continue this apostasy, captivity, deliverance, repeat? And this listen, 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 this is how. Because the horror was in them, but the hope wasn't. The horror, the atrocities were in them, but the hope wasn't. I want you to understand, yes, God stepped in when he heard their groaning. But I want you to understand this. you got to hear this. This is huge for how the book of Judges applies to our life today. You need to understand the basis for God's rescue, the basis for his salvation of his people, the basis of deliverance was grace, not merit. It was grace, not merit. In other words, the Israelites did nothing to deserve to be saved. Nothing if you look at this in verse 11, listen to what they did to be saved. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him. And they served the Baals and story Then you look over in verse 19. But when... The judge died the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors following other gods and worshiping them they refused to give up their evil practices in stubborn ways that's what they did to deserve to be saved to be rescued they didn't do anything to deserve it it was 100% based on grace and not merit And it's the only way it could happen. And here's why. Because the horror was in them, but the hope wasn't. If the the hope was in them, they could have eventually gotten it right. But they couldn't. Their circumstances would momentarily modify their behavior, but nothing could change the wicked heart, the sick heart that was inside of them. They were getting, when they were being oppressed, they were getting what they had earned. But God didn't, Just give them what they earned. He gave them grace and He gave them mercy. If you look at the text about deliverance where God raised up judges who saved them and you look at the text where He heard their groaning, there's not even a a hint of repentance. It's just groaning. They're just miserable in their circumstances and yet God moved. God moved. The surrounding texts that talk about God raising up Savior, deliverers, is full of all their sin. need to understand this. God's anger was merited. His mercy and compassion were not. His anger is understandable. His mercy and compassion should blow our mind. When we look at Jesus, isn't it the same thing? That Jesus came with mercy and compassion. And that should blow our mind. John 3.16, the famous verse in the Bible, says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we need to be clear on something. God didn't give Jesus. He didn't give his love. He didn't love the world. He didn't love the world because the world merited it. He didn't look at the world and everything that was going on and, and go, "Man, how can you not love that? The, the, the fighting, the wars, the lying, the deception, the killing, the murders, the, the manipulating to get in power and then abusing the power, the arrogance, the greed, all of those things, those sound a lot like today. And God didn't look at the world 2,000 years ago. He didn't look at the world from the beginning when sin entered. He didn't look at the world with judges and go, my gosh, how can I not love this? Understand, God loving the world doesn't speak to the goodness of the world. God loving the world speaks to the greatness of God's grace. We did nothing to earn it. It is all about his greatness and him loving us when we have earned something else. His anger was merited. His mercy and compassion were not. And when we look at this, here's a sobering, Fact, a sobering truth that we need to understand and we need to wrestle with. Our hearts are no different than the Israelites. Our hearts are no different. The book of Judges is a physical representation of our spiritual reality. Our hearts are, are, are no different. The horror is in us, but the hope is not. And Judges exposes this condition of mankind. The heart is deceitfully wicked. It is sick. It is beyond cure. It is capable, listen, of horrific wickedness and atrocities. And understand this. Listen, listen. Some of these look like the Holocaust where millions of innocent people were murdered. Some of this looks like the trade center bombings. Some of this looks like bloody wars. But other atrocities that come from the horror inside of us. It looks like ignoring your neighbor in need. That is an atrocity. It looks like neglecting your family. It looks like selling your soul to your work and love of money. It looks like giving your body to drugs, to sex outside of marriage, to trading the, your wife of uh, the covenant for something extra on the side and rejecting the God who gives you every breath you breathe. And then we turn our back to him, not even thanking him and appreciating him for the breath he gives the righteous and the unrighteous. And he gives it not because we deserve it, but because he is merciful and he is compassionate. And understand this though, God delivered the Israelites from their enemy, He will deliver us too, in spite of the horror that is inside of us and the atrocities and the wickedness that we commit. But we need to understand our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this dark age that hold us captive and oppress us. I told you early on that this was a captivity that they could not escape, an oppression that they could not stand. What I'm telling you today is sin puts us into a captivity that we cannot escape and an oppression that we cannot stand. And the horror is in us, the hope is not, but praise God, the solution is Jesus. Go back to Romans, Romans 5, 6. Romans 5 6. Look at 8 through 10. Look at, look at 6. Paul says this, you see, at just the right time. Now, listen to this part. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still powerless to, to secure our own deliverance, when we were still powerless to break the captivity of sin, When we were still powerless and we knew the horror was in us, but I just can't seem to find the hope. He says, just at the right time, at the right moment in history, Jesus came on the scene. And he stepped in, listen, as the Savior Deliverer. And how were the the judges, how did they deliver the people? God raised them up and he put his spirit upon them so that they could go and deliver his people from captivity. Go to Luke chapter 4 and read about Jesus' baptism. He goes under the water. When he comes up out of the water, the heavens part and the Spirit descends like a dove. And it says he immediately went out into the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know who he took on? It wasn't the, the, the Canaanites. It wasn't the, the Ammonites, the, any of those ites. He took on Satan. And Satan threw everything he had at him. But Jesus endured. It's why he was tempted in every way as we are. There is no temptation you've ever faced or are facing that Jesus didn't face himself. And yet in the power of the Holy Spirit, he did what we cannot do on our own, and he overcame the temptation. And in that, he became the anointed savior, deliverer, not just of Jewish people, but of all people. And he stepped in to deliver us from a captivity that we cannot escape and an oppression that we cannot withstand. And he said, I know, listen, I know the horror is in you, but my grace is greater. He said, I know the horror is in you and the hope is not. But guess what? When you say yes to me, my spirit enters you and my hope is now in you. And he comes and delivers and he makes the unrighteous righteous by us accepting him and by coming and bringing our allegiance to him. I'm no longer going to bow to the created when I can bow to the creator who loves me with such a great love as this. The horror is in us. The hope is not. But the good news is this. The horror is in us and it's probably worse than we think. The horror is in us. But the hope is in Jesus. The horror is in us all. But the hope of Christ is offered to each of us. And here's the thing. If you're here today and you're at the end of your rope and and hope seems to be dwindling. It could be in an area of your life with finances. It could be in an area of your life with some sexual sin or some addiction. It could be in the area of your life where you just know this isn't right and I'm not able to overcome this. And you're running out of hope. It could be some area of your life or it could be your life as a whole. I'm running out of hope. I have no hope. A lot of you know this about me that between the years of about 2013-14 to about 2017 I went through a really really deep depression Pastoring a church, Christian, all of that and yet I still went through this really really bad depression lasted for 3-4 years it was, it was a w- really bad season of my life I want to show you a picture from my house. That's a view from a window in my bedroom looking out in my backyard. And for those three or four years, there were a lot of days that about the best I could do was get out of bed. And I would walk to that window and I would stare out into that backyard and as I'm looking through the window at the world out there, outside of that window, in my heart, I just knew that life was over. I knew it was done for me. I knew there's nothing left. And I'd stand at that window and I'd weep and I'd, just, I'd wanna live, but there was something, I couldn't do it. And here I am, a pastor of a church leading a church and I can barely get out of bed and I look through this window and it was like looking into hopelessness. The world as I knew it was over. But God delivered me from that. I'll be really honest with you. The last five, six, even seven, eight months for me, have been extremely hard. People talk about 2020, the year from hell. I take 2020 over 2022 personally. And it was hard. And not long ago, I could feel that oppression coming back on me. I could feel that feeling of just not wanting to go, not, not feeling like I could go, having little interest in things, just running out of energy. It, it, I could feel it coming on me. And one day, not by choice, just, just by, by happenstance, I think it was a divine appointment, I walked to that window and I looked out the window. And in my mind, I literally thought, are we gonna do this again? I can't go through this again. Are we going to do this again? But in that moment, as I'm looking through this window, this window that had been this place of despair, all of a sudden became this place of hope because this is what I knew and this is what you need to hear. I knew that the God that I serve who delivered me before would deliver me again. And here's what I'll tell you. For some of you, the hope isn't there. And there's a reason. The hope isn't in you. The hope is in Jesus. If you're looking to yourself for hope, you're looking in the wrong place. And I know this, in a room this size, there's someone here, many people here who are struggling with depression. You're at the end of your rope. There's something going in your life. It may be circumstantial, it may be medical, but you're struggling and you're at the end of your life and there's somebody here right now who you've thought about suicide. I've had the same thought. And what I'm telling you and what I'm pleading with you is do not give up. The hope is not in you, but it is in Jesus, and He will deliver you if you won't quit. I know it's hard. I know that for some of you, you're going through things that are horrible, you're facing things that are awful. And some of you think you deserve it because you know the horror is in you. But you need to understand God gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us His grace and His compassion. And when you're in Christ, you need to understand that is who you are, not the horror. Jesus will deliver you, but you have to align your life. Just give your allegiance to the creator, not the created. Don't bow to things that can only oppress, that can only put you in bondage. Bow to the one who will deliver. Remember who he is and what he's done for us in Christ and bow to him. If you give your heart to the king, he will deliver. For some of you in here today, right now, you know you're still an enemy of God. You've never said yes to Jesus. You've never turned from bowing to the created and turned to the creator. You've never accepted Jesus' righteousness as he takes your unrighteousness. And it's all by grace through faith. It's not merited. You cannot earn this. It's the beauty of it. It's why grace is so amazing. amazing. You can't earn it. You can't do anything for it. And yet today I'm pleading with you. If you don't know him, give your heart to him today. Give your allegiance to him today. Because the hope's not in you, it's in him. I want to give you that opportunity today. If the Lord is drawing you and he's calling you, and you know I'm not worthy, I'm not worth it, but I do believe today that he'll save me. Doesn't mean all our circumstances change, but it means one who's bigger than our circumstances enters them with us. And today, if you find yourself in that place, where the Lord is calling you, then what I would offer you today, it's not even my invitation, it's Jesus' invitation to come to him. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and he says, I'll give you rest, and I'll give you life. If you know today is your day of your salvation, that the Lord has called you, this is why don't you, I want you to put your hand in the air and say, "Today, Jesus, rescue me." Today, Jesus, rescue me. We're about to sing. Our prayer team is going to come forward, and we're going to sing this last song. If you need prayer today. Come and let us pray for you. we got people. Let the body surround you. Draw strength from those around you. And you come and pray. I'm going to pray, then they're going to sing. You respond as the Lord leads you. Father, I thank you today for your great love for us. God, thank you that you have not given us what we deserve. But you've given us your grace and mercy because you are great and compassionate. We love you, Lord, and we praise your name because you're so good. You're so kind. In Jesus' name.